Assalamualaikum everyone, welcome to another episode. Today's episode is a very, very special one because I have a very special guest with me. Please introduce yourself. Assalamualaikum, my name is uh, Iman Rabat. I work at Rabata, which is an organization dedicated to creating positive cultural change through creative educational experiences. I'm the education director there and I lead um, uh, three different programs for online learning about Islam. We have Ribat, which is a program for women, Roboteens, which is a program for teen girls, and Dragonflies, which is a program for kids. Um, I teach Fiqh and I teach Quran and I teach other fun stuff as well, in addition to being the education director. I'm happy to be here uh, today. Grateful for you to come on this episode because this is a pretty big topic. Periods are a pretty big topic for lots of people because a lot of people don't necessarily well you know for a lot of younger girls maybe they didn't grow up learning about this or you just have questions I know that there's so many like if you can do this if you can't so alhamdulillah I'm very grateful that you are on this episode with me because I don't think there's anyone else that could do it better than you so I went on Instagram and my discord and I asked my audience to send in their questions regarding periods and everything of that nature we collected the most common questions that we saw repeating. And so, inshallah, absolutely anonymously, we are going to share them. So the first question, just periods in general, why can't we pray on our period? I know that some people think that it's a cultural thing where it's like you're impure, you're not good enough to pray. Some people have like different taboos about it. So what is the real reason? Okay, well, uh, first of all, yes, there's always so many questions about periods. I teach several classes about this topic in specific or about fuqah in general. And subhanAllah, the more you know, the more clear all the questions can be once you get your solid knowledge from A to Z. So for today, we'll just answer your uh, answer the questions that you have. But I also want to encourage everybody here to try to get yourself in a class. The topic here would be fuqah. You might take a specific fuqah of menstruation class or take a fuqah of worship class. And that will give you a 360-degree view so that you know all of the the con context of the of your questions and not just the answer to one specific question. So, for example, here we have this question about why can't we pray on our period? It might feel like uh, that is putting women at a disadvantage, like maybe women are less than men or women have time in their life when they're not as good or not worthy of, of worship. But that is not it cannot be further from the truth, subhanAllah. When we're on our period, the fact is that we are now in a state. It's a spiritual state, and it's called janaba or hadath. This is a spiritual state of impurity. Now, you're, we're all familiar with this state when we fall asleep or when we use the restroom. Then we need to make wudu, correct? That's because we're in a state of minor janaba or minor impurity. We also can't pray when we're like that, and that applies to both men and women. When we get our periods, we are in the state of major janaba. And so until that period ends, then we cannot pray. Same as when we use the restroom or when we sleep. But instead of needing a wudu after a period, we need to make ghusul, which is basically just washing the whole body with water. Um, janaba or hadath does not happen exclusively to women it also happens to men and women in other cases of course men don't menstruate but there are other things that would 
put a man in that state that he would also need to perform ghusl. Um, same thing for women. So it's not periods are one of the things that mean that we cannot pray until we have our ghusl. Um, it's not at all uh, a state where girls or women are impure or they're not good enough, but but rather um, you're in a in a state where you can do all the other worships. There's also another uh, common misconception that praying or doing our salah or namaz, whatever you call it in your culture, that that prayer where you stand and you do five prayers a day is the only way to pray, the only way to communicate with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in fact, there are so many other ways that all of them are accepted and we should continue to try to do those um, those methods of worship when we are on our periods. The only thing we can't do is pray and fast. We can still do dhikr, we can still do dua, we can still do adhkar, we can um, meditate, think of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, stay in remembrance of him, read hadith, learn about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Prophet So there's a lot of things that we can do. There are just a few restrictions on a couple of things that we cannot. I hope that helps and that answers the question. Yes, it does. Thank you so much. Alhamdulillah. Beautiful answer. So... I hope that covers that. I know that that's a big question lots of people have. So now, getting into the nitty-gritty of stuff, the do's and don'ts, which is definitely, it's, it's a lot sometimes because people have so many different things that they've heard. So the first one that I, a lot of people sent this one in, especially on my Instagram, is it haram to cut your nails and hair during your period? All right. Well, that's a good one. And that's one that I had when I was a teenager as well. So I can appreciate the, the wanting to know, mashallah, and just wanting to know and wanting to apply your deen to the full and in the in the correct way. You know that you're rewarded for that. So alhamdulillah that you all are thinking these thoughts and trying to um, understand what to do and what not to do. So first, when I, when I look at a question like this, I see the word, is it haram? And I think to myself, oh, gosh we want to step away from the from the the way of thinking of haram versus halal there are things that are haram that are pretty basic we know what they are it's haram it's forbidden haram means something is forbidden and you are what a person who who does the act is is punished and the person who does not do the act is rewarded for refraining from it so Haram is really a big word, and I would not apply it to the situation of cutting your nails and hair during your period. It is. It seems to be a cultural understanding. I had I had asked a scholar at one point, and she said that she had researched this, and it seemed to originate with the uh, more Jewish uh, or Christian way of thinking, and somehow it got transferred into Islam. She was a scholar of fuqa, and she said that she did not find any. Um, evidence to say that we cannot cut our nails or hair during our periods so that is to clarify that issue and again circling back to that the the thinking of haram and in our deen we don't we don't want to be looking at that line of what's forbidden and what's allowable but rather we want to try and look at what's good better best acceptable should always be the uh the baseline for what we do or do not do in our deen, inshallah. Inshallah. That's beautiful. I agree with that so much because now I feel like everything has been, is it haram or is it not haram? And it's like no one really is in the middle, just, you know, acceptable and not acceptable. So, yeah, and in our life, we don't look at, oh, am I going to fail if I do this thing? We're always looking at, I want the A, I want the B, I want the A plus. 
So we want to look for that rather than look for what's the past line. Right. Very few students look at their their exam and say, what are, what's the minimum required to pass? Let me just not not fail this exam. But rather, let's do all the things that we can do, inshallah. Absolutely, inshallah. The next question is, again, another popular one. And I know that you know you probably saw this one coming even before we decided on these questions. Can you hold and read the Quran? I know that this differs by different mother, but what is the most popular opinion? Some people say you can recite it, but you can't touch it. Some say you can hold it with a tissue or like on your phone. But what is the correct say on this, inshallah? Or the acceptable okay. say? <laughs> Absolutely good. I was going to comment on that first. So the phrase, what's the correct say? Well, we have our, our four imams, right? The, the leaders of the four madahib who came up with the methodology for looking at the Islamic sources. These are four scholars that we trust inherently. Imam Abu Hanifa, Imam Shafi, Imam Malik, and Imam Ibn Hanbal. These are four scholars that all of what they say is correct. We, we respect and we acknowledge all of their scholarship and all the learning that they did. They are the, the scholars of the Sunnah and they took the original sources, sources which are Quran and Sunnah, the life of the Prophet his words and actions, and they interpreted from those sources our fuqah rulings. So that's why you see different rulings on different madahib, because though they may have seen the same hadith, the same action of the Prophet but they may have interpreted it differently based on the way that they the methodology that they had um, put together. So this is my very long way of answering your question, but I want you to really understand the reason why we have these four madahib. Um, let's, let's compare it to diets, right? There's a huge diet culture out there, but everybody's got their own idea. You've got the intermittent fasting people who have their, their system where you can eat whatever you want in a certain amount of time, but then don't eat anything else. you got your keto people who say you can eat all day, but there are some things you can eat, some things you can't. You've got your Atkins people who say you can eat whatever you want, but don't eat any carbs, and so on and so forth. So everybody's got their own method, but they're all reaching for the same goal of a healthy life or of weight loss. So here with our madahib, they have different ways of interpreting the hadith and the sunnah, and that's why we have slightly different rulings. So when you say, can you hold or read the Quran? This is definitely going to differ by madhab. So you are going to see that people have different opinions. And that's that's acceptable. And they're all respected. Um, I will answer, though, just as a general response. It is not permitted for anyone in a state of major hadith. Remember, we mentioned that in the first question. You're in a state of major hadith, so you shouldn't be reading Quran until you've done your ghusl. And now you are in a state of purity, a spiritual state of purity. Now you can hold a Quran, which is written in a, on a paper or in a book form, and you can recite it out loud or in a low voice. Now, if you're outside of this state, the, 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 or, the origin of the ruling is you cannot touch anything that has Quran written on it and you cannot read it aloud, um, but you can still read it in your heart without moving your tongue and lips um now we have some scholars who said hmm there's these women who have these periods that are sometimes long and sometimes short and they have postpartum bleeding as well so they've got all this time that they can't access the quran so 
let's give them a ruhsa or a permission. It's like a a secondary opinion. For those who need to study, they're memorizing or they're learning. For example, a woman who has memorized all the Quran, and if she were to take seven days or ten days off in a month, she'll forget what she has memorized. That is allowed for her to memorize. Let's say a woman is at university or a serious class she's taking, and she has she has to fulfill the requirement. So she also may read or recite while she's on her period. Some say that in this case, she can touch it with gloves on or with a Kleenex or with a fabric. Others say, well, now in this day and age, we have um, devices, we have iPads and books, so you can use those. That is agreed upon that if it's on a device, you can hold it, you can touch it, no problem at all. However, the opinion that you can touch a Quran with a Kleenex or any kind of a barrier like a fabric, that's a minority opinion. And the majority would say, nope, don't touch it. Get someone else to carry it for you until you're pure. And um, and the only the only exception for that is if it were, for example, to fall or to come to harm. A child, for example, grabbed it, was going to throw it in the swimming pool or something. Then you can go ahead and, and, and hold it until you can get it to a safe place. The ruling is that you could read a word or a phrase, but we want to try not to read a whole verse that is that gives a full meaning. So let's say I'm practicing my tajweed. I can repeat alhamdu, alhamdulillahi, for example, short bits of it. I used to do that when I taught Quran as well. I'd be teaching little children and I would just say one word at a time or one phrase at a time rather than repeating the whole verse aloud when I was on my period. That definitely covers that. That was really good. Alhamdulillah. Thank you so much. I do agree. It does differ by madhab. And I think that a lot of people want like one set answer. And that's just not, it's not always possible, especially in such yeah. matters. And that can be confusing, but it's also part of the mercy of Islam, that there are different opinions. We've got more than a billion Muslims now. And it's hard to have a one size fits all solution. And so alhamdulillah that we have the different madhahib different opinions that allow for a little bit of wiggle room as long as we're not wiggling all the way out of our our deen and our worship completely inshallah you should be safe whichever opinion you follow alhamdulillah yes the next question is are tampons okay to use okay so i'm gonna be a little controversial here and say that islamically i have not seen or heard any cause to avoid using a tampon there are cultural hesitations about it depending on your cultural background in some cultures it's deemed inappropriate for girls especially before marriage to be inserting anything in that area i personally am not comfortable doing it myself and um, if it's not necessary you might want to avoid it until you're older but and also it's always a good thing to talk to a parent uh, mother or another adult figure to make sure that you're that you're on safe ground so again islamically i don't see any reason not to but culturally there might be some some discussion around that and i want to add that there's no harm in understanding your culture and the reasons that they might have especially if it's a muslim culture and they are uh, there's no harm in following your cultural norms and expectations. Great. 
The next question, are there any general tips on how to straighten our iman during our period? Yes, absolutely, because if you think about it, so so often you hear women saying, I'm on vacation when she's on her period, meaning, what do you mean? Are you on vacation from Allah? Are you on vacation from your deen or from your iman? That doesn't sound right, because let's do the math. I'm going to open my calculator here. If I have the average periods about seven days, and you've got 12 months in a year, and you're going to be menstruating for maybe 50 years of your life, that's 4,200 days of your life that you're not uh, praying. And if you divide that by 365, that's about 11 years of the average woman's life that she's not praying. Oh my now God. she's going to, right? <laughs> right? Now she's, I just opened up my cal calculator. You can try it yourself with however number of days your period is. That's crazy. Out of your 60 years of life, 11 of them are going to be spent without praying. So we want to be really careful not to have those 11 years of our life to not let those be times without worship or without connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We want to make sure that we have something, something that we're doing. Now, what I've heard recommended is you had Ritahajad, which is a night nighttime of prayer. Let's do that all year round, even if it's just five minutes. Wake up and pray a couple of rakahs at night. This is something the Prophet ﷺ would do every single night. This is one of the most highly recommended sunnahs, and we hear it in the Holy Qur'an uh, again and again. Wake up at night and pray. Wake up at night and read Qur'an. So if, I'm on, if I fit in this time when everybody's asleep on a regular basis, and I can also do it when I'm on my period and just have that kind of me time at night when everyone's asleep. Also remember that we have five prayers a day, so maybe... What I've heard recommended is to take 10 minutes aside, even when you're on your period, and sit and do some dhikr, astaghfirullah, or alhamdulillah, or salawat on the Prophet ﷺ, or even subhanallah, alhamdulillah, wa la ilaha illallah, wallahu akbar. Find yourself some time to sit aside and uh, and connect with Allah subhanahu ta'ala. You can also do dua, just speak to Allah, tell him what you're feeling, what you're needing, speak to him in whatever language, whatever way you feel. And uh, inshallah, that will be a connection for you. Um, also, any adhkar. There are plenty of adhkar books out there. You can check out robotika.org. We have a beautiful uh, dua book that was just published that you can uh, check out. I think it's called In the Garden of Remembrance. So you can open that up and read through that throughout the day. Just to kind of touch base. Make sure that you're connected with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I would also really recommend having... Uh, work that you do, serve your community. That's beautiful. Those are beautiful things to do when you're on your period. Uh, volunteer work, feeding people, teaching, or supporting your local institution that has classes going on. In Ramadan, for example, you're not fasting, but there's so much else that you can do. Feeding a person, a feeding a person who's fasting, you get the reward of of, of the fast. And so on those days, you can decide to either invite family and friends over and feed them for thought. You're able and stronger than the people who are fasting. So you can be cooking, you can be feeding your own family at home or buying food and feeding uh, other people or making food, volunteering at a soup kitchen, whatever it is, inshallah, to keep your iman strong and keep your deeds rolling in so that you don't have 11 years of, of a negative balance in your bank account on the day of judgment i agree the negative balance is not good <laughs> that definitely would be great 
So here are some end of the period questions that I saw come up quite often. When do we exactly know we can do the guzuls? Because some people say that they do it and then the period tends to come back and then it leaves them doing multiple guzuls in one day. Right, so that can be confusing and we want to make sure that we don't lapse into this this cycle of making usul and then uh, you're on again, off again. That can be really frustrating. So what is recommended is that you, um, first of all, we have to learn how to look for that time that you have finished your period. So what you want to do is you're going to have to be very vigilant and check it every prayer time. So you'll just go to the restroom, use a clean uh, bit of toilet paper and wipe yourself and see what colors coming out. If it's a pink or a reddish color, then you're done. You know that you're still on your period. You can continue your day. If you see nothing, then what you can do is you can pause for that one prayer and wait until the next one. Now, if at the next one you see red or pink, then of course you're still on your prayer. You're still on your period. So sometimes your body needs a little bit of time to kind of decide where it's, which way it's going to go. So this buffer of one prayer time is really helpful. So you can skip that prayer, the first one. If at the second one you find that you're done with your period, then you can do a ghusl before the end of that second prayer time, and you're going to make up the first one. You want to make sure that we are minimizing the number of prayers that we miss. But this prayer is a covenant with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Really, really important. It's one of the it's one of the pillars of our faith. So we want to make sure that we're not thinking, you know, oh, maybe I'll get it tonight. I'm not going to check until tomorrow morning. No, we got to be checking every prayer time, make sure that we don't miss out on the blessing of the prayer. So finally, how do I know that it is actually over? So that buffer time is just a, it's just because you didn't see the actual sign. The actual sign that you're actually done is a specific discharge of specific color and texture. So it's kind of an, a thick white bit of discharge that you're going to see when you wipe. Sometimes we miss this because we're not looking for it. But as you as you start this practice of checking regularly, inshallah, you'll start to see this very specific color. It's not transparent. It's a thick white discharge um, that it's kind of like jelly, I would say, but white, white in color. And then once you see that, you know that you are done with your a period, and in Arabic, this is called or the white. Not clot, but something like that. So once you see that, you know that your period has ended. And if you don't see it, but you also don't see blood, then as I said, you can wait for one prayer and then catch yourself in the next prayer. So I hope that helps. Yes, the buffer prayer, really good tip. I think that definitely mm -hmm. works. That is something that I do too. And it, it's pretty foolproof majority of the time. Alhamdulillah. Yes. Yeah. So the next question, if I thought my period was over, I prayed, but the next day comes back, will I get, you know, th this is the term they use, bad deeds for praying in that state since I didn't know. Oh, goodness. Of course not. You're not going to get bad deeds. You've As long as you've done your best effort, inshallah, Allah will accept that. And Allah also knows that our periods can be very confusing and very temperamental. One day it's here and one day it's not. And so you just do your best. Be sure to be checking at every photo like we talked about. Um, and then inshallah, you're in the safe zone. Perfect. Okay. So some women struggle with very long periods. 
Is there a certain amount of days or time frame that we should kind of have that Islamically requires us to start praying even if we haven't finished? So this is also going to differ based on madhab. And I know two madhab because my father was Hanafi, my mother was Shafi. So those are the two that I've studied. And I'm going to give you the answer based on those two. The organization where I teach, we are Shafi'i, and so I can tell you that it's 15 days. The, the maximum of the period is 15 days, and if you bleed on the 16th day, then you're just going to um, do your ghusl and enter into the days of, without, of being without period. Now, this state that you're in now is called the state of istihada, right, or, or, or continuous hadith, continuous bleeding. There's a few specific rules about that, so you might want to look into that. You can uh, check out what the rules are for istihada and make sure that your prayer is correct because they're, because you're still bleeding, so you need to make sure that you have a fresh wudu at every prayer time after the adhan and that you go directly from wudu to prayer, right? So that's ex an extensive period of bleeding. Now, just as a sub-note, there are other opinions. I know that the Hanafi madhab is 10 days maximum. And then there are other opinions that I'm not going to go into just to avoid confusion. Right. Yes. The 10 days is personally what I go with. And I, sure. I think that having a time frame is pretty useful in some cases. So alhamdulillah. Okay, our next question. This is a, this is a moment. This is this is the start of the show. This is a moment. Okay. So mm -hmm. some women struggle with their periods and receive hormonal shots, and these shots tend to delay their period or shift around their cycle. However, it becomes very difficult for them to be consistent because one week you'll, it'll come, one week it won't. Sometimes you're just spotting for three days and then it's over. Sometimes the side effects is spotting for a month. Is this considered a sickness? Is this considered a period? What should we what should we do for Ramadan and prayers? And of course, I know that like we mentioned about Madhab, about the 10, 15 days, it depends. But how many of how many days these symptoms can come and go? What what should be done? And especially in something like Ramadan, which is coming up. Right. This can be really, really confusing. And I would really recommend that anyone dealing with this, that you contact a scholar um, and try to sort that out with her so that you know that you're in the safe zone in terms of your interpretation, because this can be very different from one person to another. I will tell you that just as a general rule of thumb, a period is when your blood is flowing at every prayer time consistently. and the minimum is a day and a night, so 24 hours. So if you're having spotting for less than 24 hours, then you know that this is an on again, off again, and it's not, if it's if it's off for, let's say, a whole six hours or 12 hours, then you're kind of not really bleeding as a period bleeding. Um, as So that's for the minimum. Now, as for the rest of your month, if it's just on again, off again, you're going to try to find the time when it seems like it is um that it is the period in the month and then you're just going to stick with that each month so you're going to estimate you're going to try to see if your blood has a specific uh, darker color a uh, um, more foul smell the blood of the period has specific qualities that you can look for if you have um bleeding that's throughout the month um so I would also see uh, an OBGYN to, to see if there's any solution for that so she can help you regulate um, and help you identify when your period is actually on and when it's off. 
Um, otherwise, you're just you're going to do your best to make an educated estimate, and you can just follow through that each month, inshallah. Inshallah, for sure. If I finish my period but haven't had time to do ghusl, do I have to pray all the salahs that I missed? Okay, so first of all, I'm a little <gasps> at the word all the salahs. Oh my goodness, we want to make sure not to miss more than one prayer. We got to make sure that we are um, aware of our bodies, aware of ourselves, and that we're finding a space. So when I was at college, for example, I'd be there for the whole day and I would just slip on down to the gym. There's a gym on the campus. And I do my ghusl because I'm not going to miss my prayers all the way up to Maghrib when I know that I need to pray the Hur and Asr. So we want to be real clever about that. Maybe find a gym nearby or find something or take a half day when you know that it's time. You're just going to say, I'm so sorry. I got something at home I got to take care of. And you can make sure that you get home in time to do your ghusl. If you do end up missing one prayer or more, then yes, you do need to make them up from the moment that your, your period ended. Um, any as if you had from the moment your period ended until the next adhan, if there was enough time to make ghusl and pray, then yes, you need to pray that prayer. Got it. So, inshallah, that helps whoever asked that. Our last question <laughs> For women who might have braids, or this sister specifically mentioned how she has thick hair and cornrows sometimes, can she do ghusl over it? All right, that's a really good question, actually. And the companions actually asked the Prophet وسلم, the women companions asked him about this. And so the ruling is that, yes, you can do ghusl on your braids without taking them apart if you're sure that the water is going to come to every strand of hair and to the skin of your scalp. So just as a quick review, how do I make my ghusl? How do I make sure it's correct? There's two, two requirements. Number one, you have to make the intention. So before you get in, you have to say, I intend ghusl uh, for purity. And number two, you have to have water reach all areas of the body. That includes your scalp, every hair, inside your belly button, in between your toes, um, any flaps of skin in your, uh, not in your ears, but like the, 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 what do they call it? Like the bendy parts of the ears and behind the ears. So we just want to make sure that water gets to every bit of the body. And that includes every every strand of hair in your braids and your scalp. And so that's going to depend on the thickness of your braids and the texture of your hair, whether you're going to need to take them up, take them out, or whether you can um, just kind of massage the water and make sure it gets in there. I hope that's helpful. Yes, I know that's a very popular one. I've had I've heard this one a lot. So, alhamdulillah, yeah. we have gotten through our main questions that were asked. I was Thank reading a little bit about you. She sent me like her little education profile. And it's, it's just interesting. It's it's so interesting, y'all. I 10 out of 10 recommend to check her out, inshallah. Thank you so much I for coming. I hope to see some of you in my classes at Rabatla. If you're under 17, you can join Teens, And I teach a five-week class about this topic called uh, coming of age of menstruation for teen girls. And if you're over 17... You can join Ribat, the Ribat Academic Institute where I teach uh, Fiqh 101, which is a full 12-week uh, class about uh, purity, prayer, and fasting. Inshallah. Thank you so much for coming. Please take Thank care. Thank you for having me. Assalamu alaikum. It was great to be here. Wa alaikum